historical um, and social um, experience uh, as a nation has created a very unique society. When we see other people suffer, uh, as we see uh, our neighbors right now, uh, Ukrainians fleeing the war, we, we see them um, as our neighbors, as our guests. Uh, we don't see them as refugees. And we show them help uh, because we wish someone helped us when we needed it. And that's a unique experience for a whole country to really feel that. My name is Angel Torero. I want to welcome you to On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham. What can Christians in Sydney learn from Christians in Sao Paulo? How can church leaders in Mongolia equip pastors in Miami, which is where I live and serve? On this podcast, we listen in on conversations between Chris Wright and church leaders in Africa, Asia, and Latin America where my family has their roots. We hope you discover how much wisdom the church in the West has to gain from their sisters and brothers in villages and towns around the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott to equip church leaders in the majority world. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham and explore more resources from global church leaders. Our host is Dr. Christopher J.H. Wright, known to many as Chris Wright, a respected theologian and award-winning author of more than 30 books, including critically acclaimed The Mission of God, Unlocking the Bible's Grand Narrative. When he's not writing books, Chris serves as Global Ambassador and Ministry Director for Langham. In this episode of On Mission, Chris sits down with Darius Bryczko, a pastor, teacher, and theologian from Poland who received his PhD with support from Langham. Darius founded and leads a ministry in Warsaw that helps people thoughtfully read and engage with scripture. He's passionate to see biblical Christianity reintroduced to his post-communist nation and to help Polish Christians understand their faith better so the church can be an effective witness. Today, this work is more important than ever. I hope you enjoy their conversation. Welcome to On Mission with me, Chris Wright. And today we are in that ancient and great country of Poland, there in Central or Eastern Europe, depending on exactly how you look at the map of Europe. Uh, But anyway, it's got Germany to the west and Ukraine to the east and the Czech and Slovak republics down to the south. It's a large country, about 40 million people. It's about the fifth largest in the European Union is Poland. And my guest today uh, in Warsaw, the capital city of Poland, is Darius Bridgko. So welcome to you, Darius. Great to be here. Thank you. It's good to have you with us. So, Darius, you're a a Langham scholar and now serving back in your home country because you were born and grew up there in in Warsaw. But you've had significant years of study and ministry in the United States. And I thought I would just read something of that history before we actually go back and you can tell us a lot about yourself. Uh, But as I said, uh, Darius is a, a Langham scholar from Poland but he's also a graduate of Moody Bible Institute and Gordon-Conwell Seminary and got his doctorate, his PhD, as a Langham Scholar in Historical Theology at Calvin Theological Seminary there in Grand Rapids. He was a research fellow at the Centre for Christian Thought at Biola University 
uh, and he served on the pastoral team of First Presbyterian Church Columbia in South Carolina. And then also uh, he was uh, a professor for some years in Lithuania at the International Christian University. In 2015, Darius was ordained and called by the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church to go church planting in Warsaw in his home country in Poland. And then he also founded and is the president of the Tolle Lege Institute, which operates a Reformation study centre in Warsaw, and we'll be talking a little bit about that later on. And uh, Darius is married, his wife is called Brooke, and they have three children. So, Darius, we always like to begin with a little bit of personal background and just tell us something about yourself and your where and how you grew up and uh, how you came to personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a little bit of your journey. Well, thank you, Chris. That's uh, I, I think you read my CV pretty carefully <laughs> there. <laughs> but it, it is true that I was uh, born and uh, raised here in Poland and uh and left Poland really in 1995, so soon after fall of the communism, and spent most of my adult life in the U.S. pursuing uh, theological studies, and came back to Poland in 2015, so uh, just about, uh, what, seven uh, years ago. But uh, back in 2007, and that was the time that we were, uh, that I was introduced to you and to John Stott Ministries, what Langham used to be called, uh, I was still working on my doctorate in Grand Rapids in Michigan, and uh, I initiated the, the founding of a Tolalega Institute. Uh, which started out as an educational nonprofit uh, to publish uh, strategic Protestant classic books that had never uh, before been translated to Polish language. And Tola Lege, for those of you who know Latin, uh, means simply take and read. So it sounds very mysterious, but it's a very simple, a straightforward name that wouldn't uh, alienate uh, maybe um, people here in Poland. We are in a Catholic country, and I chose not to call our organization something, you know, like solo scriptura or, mm -hmm. but just kind of look to our common heritage and um, early, um, early Christian history. Mm -hmm. And I had always loved uh, Augustine and the confessions and, and, and I thought that phrase would work well and, and it has. Mm -hmm. um, let's, let's, um, let's come back to Tolle Legge. I'd love to hear just the story of that at some point, uh, going back to Augustine and those words and what it led to his conversion. Um, but tell us a little bit more about yourself um, and um, how you personally came to, to faith and, and what led you to want to do theological study and to go to the States to do it. Yeah, um, Poland is overwhelmingly Roman Catholic. So um, uh, growing up here as a Protestant uh, was very unusual. Uh, in communism, even more unusual um, because the, the the Christian or Catholic religion was not really uh, something that the government back then tolerated. Um, my grandfather was a Baptist pastor, uh, and I grew up here in evangelical congregation in Warsaw. Uh, my uncles from my uh, father's side um, uh, were also pastors. And my mother's side was Roman Catholic. Mm. Uh, my my mother uh, had 
become a, a believer and then became a Protestant believer. Um, and um, when she met my father. So, so growing up in evangelical home in a communist country, uh, which later became very strongly Roman Catholic was unusual. And I had a very strong sense to uh, a sense of call to ministry since I could ever remember. Uh, even as an early child going to, I think, first grade, um, I was asked what I would like to do in the future and uh, by my teacher. And I said that I would like to be a pastor, which, of course, my teacher uh, uh, kind of following the communist line was not happy to hear. And, and, and she actually didn't even know what pastor meant first. She knew priest and uh you know uh some kind of catholic minister maybe but but not 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 a pastor so once once that was explained she um she wasn't happy uh but um since i grew up in a baptistic tradition i i, I confessed my faith publicly and was baptized around the age of 13 and, and trusted lord jesus as my savior and then kind of con con as I continued to grow and uh, got involved in uh, lots of different youth camps and, 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 and youth ministries, I, uh, my sense of call to ministry uh, was strengthened. Mm. Yeah, so that's great. So you had that uh, remarkable experience of being a very much a, a minority within a minority, as it were, uh, within, a, as you say, a Protestant in a Catholic country under communism. Um, yes, indeed. So that's uh, amazing. God's call on your life. We need to hear a little bit more about Poland, I think, because many, many of us, certainly I remember growing up and um, Poland was a country that one hardly ever heard of, except for the heroism of Polish airmen during the Second World War. Um, and then, of course, later in the European Union, with many Polish people coming to Britain to work and to, uh, and to provide a, a tremendous boost to our own economy. But um, Poland, I mean, it, just looking at the story of it, it used to be a much larger country than it is today, isn't it? I mean, I, I've, I've read somewhere that um, back in the 15th century, even at the time that uh, Columbus was going to the Americas, Poland was the largest territory in Europe, apparently, in 1492, including Lithuania. But then it lost a lot of territory, didn't it, to, uh, to Russia, especially after the Second World War. So tell us a little bit about your own country and something of its history and culture and background yeah Poland uh, contrary to what many people in the West uh, kind of imagine or perceive um, and not just the West I think around the world has has received a lot of uh, negative uh, maybe uh, 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 reputation or uh, opinions and and I, I think partially that that is due to the fact that uh, Poland hasn't existed uh, it used to, well, first, it was very large, one of the largest or the largest country in Europe in the 16th and 17th century. And then in the 19th century, it, it completely disappeared for about 100 years, uh, being partitioned uh, between, um, well, Russia uh, and Austria and, and Prussia or Germany. And and our location with such a powerful neighboring countries always made um, our life a little difficult, a little bit like Ireland <laughs> with <laughs> neighboring uh, countries, mm. uh, although Ireland is an island, so maybe it was a little yes. easier for them. Um, but, but in the 16th and 17th century, uh, Poland was a very uh, diverse culturally, um, uh, religiously, 
place um, and and it was unlike in that sense Western Europe it much more um, maybe uh, Poland back then was uh, reminiscent of of UK today or United States with a very diverse population and of course uh, most of the Jewish population lived in Poland uh, all, in, all the way until Holocaust um, and uh, we had Eastern Orthodoxy, we had Protestants, uh, and even Proto-Protestants like the Hussites who would mm -hmm. leave Czech Republic and, and mm -hmm. come to Poland. So actually when the Reformation happened and all of a sudden there was this new church around Lutheranism and then um, other, uh, other uh, Protestant confessions, that was not very surprising. Uh, to the Polish society in a sense. And, and that's why in Poland, we enjoyed uh, the age of uh, great religious tolerance in the 16th and 17th centuries. Uh, well, actually, that, 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 that tolerance declined halfway through the 17th century. But, but um, in the 16th century, there's a document called Warsaw Confederation um, uh, that, that, that really has uh, a kind of outline that the Polish people as Christians will live in peace. Mm. And that's uh, that's a very interesting part of that history, which I researched partially for my uh, for my dissertation and and, and wrote uh, a, a, a monograph on a on a reform pastor from the 17th century when that toleration was in decline, mm. showing that that actually the the reformed or the Protestant um, uh, church kind of continued to be very ironic uh, mm -hmm. and actually the very book on which I wrote my dissertation was titled a friendly conversation between evangelical minister and Roman Catholic priest wow so, that's amazing to hear a title like that so coming to more recent times uh, the cause or at least the reason why Britain went to war with Nazi Germany of course was when Hitler invaded Poland uh, 1938-39 and then uh, after that after the Second World War of course then Poland because of the uh, forces of Stalin and Russia in the east the allies came under the communist rule uh, for the following decades do you think that history of being in a sense a war torn and then an occupied country for so long has affected the way Poland has responded to the uh, Ukrainian war and the influx of refugees into Poland because it's right on the border. Uh, tell us a little bit about what what that is like for you and for the Christian Church there in Poland at the moment. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you 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 mentioned that because I think you're exactly right. I, I think our historical um, and social um, experience uh, as a nation has created a very unique society polish people are very homogeneous we really because of our uh, difficult uh, history and and until recently very difficult economic situation we we didn't have many immigrants so most polish people are uh, white roman catholics that's mm -hmm. Basically, everyone here looks the same because no one wanted to come here. <laughs> uh, and everyone, if they could, they would immigrate or get out of Poland. But the situation today is very different. However, that that um, memory very much, um, the, the, mem the, the kind of uh, a social memory, or I don't know what would be more technical word for it, 
still remains in, 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 in Polish mind. So, so that when we see other people suffer, uh, as we see uh, our neighbors right now, uh, Ukrainians fleeing the war, we we see them um, as our neighbors, as our guests. Uh, we don't see them as refugees, mm-hmm. and we show them help uh, because we wish someone helped us when we needed it. Yes, and that's a unique experience for a whole country to really feel that. And and what you hear on the news, it's not just propaganda. Uh, I, I was amazed when the war started, and and that thing continues, uh, where Polish people uh, simply refuse to uh, allow the Ukrainians to sleep in tents or some kind of refugee camps, but they invite them uh, to their homes. Mm. It is remarkable how that sense of historical memory uh, of the suffering of Poland under uh, the Nazi era and then the suffering under the communists leads to saying, well, let's do what we can for those who are suffering again under invasion and war to the east in Ukraine. So that's a very interesting perspective. And I suppose some of that must come through a, a, a Christian an element of Christian theology and Christian neighborliness which is rooted in the culture, whether a Roman Catholic culture, which is predominant, uh, or those of, a, of, of the Protestant history, but it, it certainly must come through some element of the Christian, uh, the Christian DNA of the country. Very much so. I mean, Poland at this point is probably one of the most religious uh, countries in the whole Western Hemisphere. Mm. Um, and the social teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, which uh, I as a Protestant would mostly be uh, comfortable with and not even comfortable, actually stand back and watch uh, how much of it has made a positive impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is uh, right now what we are seeing in Poland. Um, someone said solidarity 2.0. Meaning solidarity or solidarność, the movement that overthrew communism, mm-hmm. uh, with a, a huge participation of the Roman Catholic Church and the leadership of John Paul II, uh, and and now um, the, the 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 same kind of solidarity with those who are suffering unjustly uh, uh, is is uh, is again showed uh, that the solidarity is clearly visible. And, and that's something that I think the, the world simply needs to watch and learn from. Yeah. So let's, let's talk then about the church in Poland. And as you just mentioned, of course, uh, Pope John Paul II was the first non-Italian pope, I think, for about 400 years. And it was a remarkable moment, I believe, of considerable pride uh, in Poland uh, when he became pope. What sort of impact did that make in the country? I mean, obviously, it was at the time of of, uh, the ejection of communism. But you said this remarkable statistic in in what I've read, that there are fewer evangelicals in Poland than in Saudi Arabia, which I find quite a a shocking statistic, a very tiny minority of the population. Um, So how do you see the church or the evangelical church um, within Poland and what are the kind of opportunities and the kind of challenges and barriers that that you face there? Um, Well, that statistic comes from, um, I believe, Operation Mobilization, but I I think that statistics um, might already be 
not relevant because we have simply so many Ukrainians, many uh, of whom are evangelicals. Of course. Yes. So let me update it and say, well, at this point, yes. uh, there's probably more Ukrainian evangelicals in Poland than Polish evangelicals. <laughs> That's uh, remarkable. But, yes. but to make the point, yes, this is uh, a very, um, a very small group. And and I have to say, growing up in it, it's uh, it's it's of course a group that was unable to uh, uh, translate books, uh, educate their ministers. Uh, most uh, ministers even either didn't have education, or they would receive education from a uh, the only uh, officially approved state-run uh, a, a pro well non-catholic christian seminary uh, where the communists put the eastern orthodox and protestants into one school uh it was uh and and then that's where you would get your master's degree uh and this was kind of a lutheran school that exists until today and um and and kind of serves as a mainline uh a school for um mostly for lutherans mm -hmm. so so uh, Polish evangelicalism uh, really emerged from the communist period uh, with, I, I think growing up, I didn't know anyone with uh, doctorates uh, until last week, I never had in my hand any systematic theology published in Polish language. Mm -hmm. Just last week, well, we are translating one and we just finished translating and it went to print, but some other Christian organization beat us uh, in a sense <laughs> uh, and and just published uh, one systematic theology by an evangelical writer and we're gonna publish uh, another one uh, and a kind of a, a cl an evangelical classic by uh, Louis Burkhoff. Now the the writings of John Stott were available so there were some some theologically uh, minded uh, people who wanted uh, some good theology to be published in Poland but overall um, uh, an, an anti-intellectual bias has really crippled. And it's one of those ironies, isn't it, that you have a country, you say Poland is in many ways the most religious country in Europe, given that so much of Western Europe has secularized in a remarkable way. Um, that's ironic then that the kind of Christianity that's there is also often of a somewhat pre-Reformation corrupt nature and even the protestants too so as you say uh, there's no such thing as a pure church but we just pray for the renewal and reformation of the churches that are there for which purpose of course you founded the tolly leggy institute and so we need to go there now and uh, again i'd love you to just tell us uh, what those words mean and the story behind them going back to Augustine, which I think was a very wise choice because it goes back way pre-Reformation, as it were, to the to the early fathers. So tell us the story of, of Tolle Legge and how you came to name your institute by that that phrase. I'd love to hear the story of, of Augustine and the voice yeah, <laughs> and how, how that came to him. Okay. You know, and then the scripture that he opened. Right. OK. Uh, yeah. So as, as, as the uh, name of the institute states, Tolle Legge, take and read, it, it comes from the story when uh, Augustine, who, who was an academic, he was a student living quite frivolous life, uh, was considering Christianity against other alternative <laughs> worldviews, including uh, Gnostic, uh, Manichaean uh, understanding of the universe. 
he he was sitting under i think a fig tree if i remember correctly and and heard this uh, voice uh in his head uh, or in a distance uh take and read take and read and he opened the scriptures on the book of romans uh, if i remember correctly chapter 13 i think and uh and read the scripture that was just pierced his heart that just made him uh made him really turn to christ so um so as we as we took that uh name for our institute we decided that we want to be this um institution that 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 really tries to come in and fill the gap uh, of the academic um, uh, resources uh, here in Poland. And of course, me being generously uh, supported by Langham and I was able to receive a, a, a PhD and having uh, a doctorate in Protestant theology um, made me think that maybe, maybe I can try to do it. Uh, but my approach to my doctorate and to my ministry has always been very practical. I, I, I just really think that the distinction between theoretical and practical in Christian theology, it's a false distinction. Uh, unfortunately, most uh, due to the corporate nature of our schools and, and churches in America especially uh, make that distinction. And even today, uh, you know, people ask you, you know, are you practically minded because you have too many titles? And, 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 and I actually don't have that many titles even. I just have a one doctorate. And I found it actually to uh, this doctorate to, to, to be an, 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 an obstacle in doing ministry because most people would say, well, if you have a doctorate, well, we don't need someone with a doctorate here. We need someone practically minded. And and I thought, well, my goodness, this is this is not how Protestants used to think. We always thought that uh, academic uh, means uh, thorough or robust and practical together. Uh, just like there's no dead orthodoxy. If it's orthodoxy, it's not dead, and <laughs> otherwise, it's not orthodoxy. Uh, so those are those those fun distinctions that can lead us astray, but. Um, but when I when I you know came here, I thought, what is you know how can we do mission work uh, here in a strategic way, knowing that Poland has a rich Protestant heritage and Christian heritage, and uh, and and a heritage of also uh, 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 this ironic dialogue, um, as I said it. And and I thought uh, when I picked the topic for my doctoral dissertation, I purposely picked a person who could serve as an example. Uh, he was obscure; no one heard of him. But he was he was uh, orthodox, and and he was ironic, which made him stand out uh, among all the uh, polemical uh, theology that was taking place at that time and then i thought if, if we can start the institute we need to show people like him we need to also uh, remind polish people that the father of polish language was a was a protestant uh, nicholas ray uh, very famous every child in poland uh, knows him but they don't know he was protestant they don't know he wrote sermons you know <laughs> commentaries um so so that's kind of how we approach this uh, uh, kind of using academics and church history as a leverage to reintroduce biblical Christianity uh, to Polish people. 
So just because the Tolle Leg Institute basically wants to promote the study of Reformation history and theology and these deep roots of the Christian faith. Um, now, I personally understand that, and I come from a Presbyterian background, and I learned the Westminster Shorter Catechism in my childhood and all of that. But I imagine there are there are people who say to you, certainly in, in, in the wider Western world, perhaps in Britain and America, uh, would be saying, what's the point? I mean, this is all 500 years ago, you know. I mean, what aren't they a bit skeptical? What's the relevance of engaging with theological ideas and concepts and authors and theologians uh, who are, you know, half a millennium dead? Uh, where, Where is that going to help the growth and the renewal of the church today? How do you answer that kind of skepticism? You know, the, 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 the problem here, even with that very question, is that, that we... Uh, believe that we need to reinvent the church that that a new is always better uh and the and the truth is that the the well there's a a, a reformation model a reformed church always reforming that means that the doctrine has been reformed once according to the scriptures and and that reformed teaching uh, or or the doctrine that's been purified from unbiblical teaching is there and that's stable and that's solid let's say you know 90 percent of it <laughs> uh there's been some obvious changes that took place since the reformation and our protestant confessional uh, uh literature that 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 we received but most of it right it's 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 stable it's solid uh and and we need to continue reform our lives and and especially the church as an institution to that blueprint um and 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 that's that's it we we do not need to reinvent the the doctrine of justification by faith alone we didn't need to reinvent uh, a, a doctrine of deity of christ we need to make sure we understand it, we accept it, and we are able to explain it in today's language mm. to um, to people around us. Mm. And that's the practical aspect. But if someone... Uh, so now, going back to that question, if here in Poland we had no systematic theology, Protestant systematic theology until today, you know, we had never even seen in Polish language until a few years ago any writings of John Calvin. <laughs> you know, what we are talking about, it, we are simply, uh, up to this point, uh, been translating a fluffy American self-help literature that has little bits of uh, gospel spread here and there, but not always in a very coherent way. Uh, it is, on, and especially in a country which has a, a wonderful tradition of Roman Catholic theology. I mean, we are pathetic. <laughs> We've got nothing to offer. I always joke, you know, okay, let's say we have a, a, a Roman Catholic priest with few PhDs who, who is a, a closet Protestant. <laughs> I mean, if he wanted to leave Roman Catholic Church, where would he go? There is, I, I, I mean, the same way, let's say, an artist or, or, or an intellectual, there's just simply, it's impossible. He would have to probably leave Poland, and a lot of them do, and a lot of them don't, and I believe there's many 
uh, uh, people who uh, are in the Roman Catholic Church, but they're closet Protestants <laughs> because yeah. they're simply, um, I, I find it more engaging talking with Roman Catholic theologians than with Protestant theologians. <laughs> and is that because the Roman Catholic theologians have an awareness and a study of Protestant theology because they have done their church history? Yeah, uh, or, you know, or at least they're able to disagree or want to talk about important issues mm. where where the Protestants want to talk only about the practical issues and what yes. they mean by it. It's non theological. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so, 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 so um, I want to talk about both. And that's um, that's very difficult today uh, with with Polish Protestants. And I do feel in that sense uh, uh, isolated. Yes, and I suppose something of that is the uh, the rather toxic influx of what you just called fluffy, <laughs> fluffy writing or thinking or singing or whatever it is, which gives people sometimes a lot of froth, to change the metaphor, but not a lot of substance in terms of biblical understanding of what it means to be a Christian or of the great tradition of biblical theology that has been there in the church for hundreds of years and indeed goes right back to the fathers as well. I mean, is that why someone like John Stott was so insistent? And in, I mean, he wrote a little book called Your Mind Matters. In other words, there has to be thinking Christians, which doesn't mean massively intellectual academic Christians, it just means Christians who actually think through their faith and have the resources to do it. So it seems to me that your Tolly Leg Institute is trying to provide the protein and the nourishment, as it were, for thoughtful Protestant Polish Christians to understand their faith better and therefore to bear witness more effectively. I I think that's exactly right. And John Stodd standing in a continuation with the great reformers of Europe understood that. I mean, back in the Reformation period, we had these reading rooms where the reformers, many of them who were Roman Catholic priests earlier, would kind of uh, escape to or go to or before after leaving the priesthood, they would just sit and they would study before taking an action. And then uh, and then and I think so that's a very uh, we are not original. Uh, and of course, John uh, Stott understood that. That's why he put such an emphasis on investing in scholars um, in developing countries and in Eastern Europe and in books. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember how um, um, uh, um, the Polish word comes to mind, uh, the InterVarsity uh, was uh, always investing in, in sending uh, books to Eastern Europe for Eastern Europeans who couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. But that's not because either John Stott or others were so academic and sitting in their ivory towers uh, no, because they understood that without substance, uh, the church will be weak and unable yeah. to practically uh, serve yeah. others. And, yeah. and you know, I mean, we, we, we have um, uh, just very recently uh, decided <clears throat> and uh, we received a, a, a little bit of money from someone and we started a, a Reformed Academy of Theology. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, online uh, in a post-COVID period that is possible where you just say, hey, I'm going to be offering a course online. <laughs> mm -hmm. And before COVID, no one would even know what you're talking about. But we just did an experiment. We said, mm -hmm. we're starting this. I will be uh, offering introduction to reform theology. 
we have a textbook uh, just translated, not printed yet, Louis Berkhoff. And this is going to be very basic, very simple. And we put it online. And guess what happened? 20 people of whom I never heard before from all around Poland, from north to south, signed up. We had a little nominal fee just to make it, uh, you know, not not just to see that they really mean it. Yeah, sure. So, so uh, just, uh, I don't know, it's like 30 or $40 for three months course. And, um, and 20 people signed up, including, I think, two Roman Catholic theologians. One, uh, well, two Roman Catholics, one lady is actually... Uh, from Krakow and she graduated from the Papal Academy and she said she just always wondered what what Protestantism and Reformed theology is all about and, and she, she she joined and I was just shocked 20 people in yeah. Poland <laughs> you know I go to some secular academic conferences and you don't see 20 people that's marvelous and I think that that course I mean the great thing is that if you start with 20 and they like what you teach them they're going to tell others and and you know so the next time you do it you could well find that there's a word of mouth is getting around and you end up with a <clears throat> a growing number of people taking these introductory courses that you're doing um, th- th- let me just say one of the things you were saying was that uh, you were so helped by being a Langham scholar or as it was in those days John Stott Ministries uh, and while you were doing your PhD that was in uh, in Calvin at Grand Rapids of course with uh, with John Stott Ministries that that's where I think I first met you. Do you remember those days? How do you re- recall your time in uh, in Grand Rapids with Calvin? I remember those days as 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 being really rigorous. Uh, my my PhD advisor Richard Muller, wonderful uh, man, wonderful scholar, who um, became not only academic mentor but someone from whom I learned a lot. He actually traveled with me to Poland uh and and visited various uh, churches and and um and that's something that has really uh, changed my uh life uh and and it was a gradual change and and begin i i think the thing that i learned the most was the, the understanding that we as protestants we we really want to stand in continuity with the with the 1500 years of church history that happened before that, that you know growing up in poland as evangelical i kind of thought well one day martin luther just kind of stood up and he spoke uh, not far away from where i live just a few hours west and and the church was kind of reborn but the church was there all this time mm. um and and i think as i studied with richard and i saw the continuities of god's providential uh care as it was going through early church and middle ages and and how that kind of developed during reformation was something that probably prevented me from i don't know being attracted to the roman catholic church especially as protestantism is experiencing its crisis uh uh, so, so I am very grateful for that and for being just really well rooted in in historic Christianity. Um, um, and 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 of course, another thing that has greatly uh, uh, changed my life was uh, was meeting my wife um, because yeah, we were at some point able to move here, and uh, my wife now is here with us uh, with our three children. We mm-hmm. speak Polish. Uh, they speak they speak perfect polish my kids go to a polish public school here and uh and and we mm-hmm. we 
do not want to go back to uh, the Western uh, mm. <laughs> world yeah. uh, if well, we if we can continue this work here. In, uh, yeah, well, we trust that you can. You don't want to go back to the fluffiness of uh, <laughs> the Western uh, world. You know, these yeah. days, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, fluffiness. Uh, yeah, is mm. I, I think there's just many reasons. Uh, mm. I, I think you know not that life here is. Uh, it I, I do want to say, and I want our listeners to hear. Uh, in in many ways, life in Poland is incredible these days. I I think this country has never, since 15th, 16th century, experienced such a. Um, uh, so much flourishing economically, mm -hmm. uh, intellectually. Uh, I, I think every day in Poland is is something that I'm just treasuring in my heart because I, I've lived in a lots of places. We moved 18 times mm. <laughs> with my wife. We lived in Lithuania. We lived in, in America, you know, in Michigan, in South Carolina, in California. And uh, my wife is from Pittsburgh. But but what's happening right now in Poland with the war and with the this very conservative uh, government and and despite your political views, this this government is different than what's in Hungary. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening in in America with the far right. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's yes, it's it's right. It's or some people say far right, but it's not the same. And mm -hmm. I think because so many people in our government are are genuine uh, followers of Christ. Wow, that's amazing. Now, you just said a moment ago that your things are going, you, you're loving being there precisely because so much is going on that you can see God's hand in. And one of those must be the fact that, uh, as you said, your theology is not just theoretical theology, but practical as well, necessarily. And you have indeed been involved in planting a church in Warsaw. So I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about that and who attends and, and what, what kind of life you have there as, as a new church in Warsaw. Tell us a bit about that. Um, so when you were introducing me, you said I was <clears throat> um, um, ordained and called by Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church to send to Poland, and that's true. However, I left that church and I left the mission agency with whom we're serving. And we were uh, taken in by the Evangelical Reformed Church of Lithuania. Uh, and, uh, and I am very grateful for that. So we are now uh, uh, part of uh, this local church that has been serving here in Poland and Lithuania for almost last 500 years. Mm. And that's wonderful because, uh, well, my whole doctoral dissertation was written on that very church uh, <laughs> and and the man whom i mentioned earlier was uh, uh, was part of uh, the church that i serve in today it's a small church uh, it, it barely survived the the bolsheviks and and uh, and of course lithuania was part of a soviet union uh, and and on the later received its independence but uh, we are here in Warsaw, their first mission congregation. Uh, they had a congregation in Poland before the Second World War. Uh, and after the war, that congregation was never reestablished. And we are kind of now standing in place of uh, that. Um, 
it is a little bit uh, hard for some to understand because we do have a mainline reformed church here in Poland, but that church for most part um, uh, is, well, um, uh, not very faithful to the gospel anymore, uh, to put it uh, uh, in, in a very broad way. Um, and and uh, and those uh, who who understand what I mean uh, will 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 probably uh, know what I'm referring to. But um, we we seek to be biblical and we seek to be uh, confessional. And we have a small group, about twenty people, uh, and uh, we uh, can really afford uh, a place to rent. So we are meeting here at the study center. Uh, which is not a very large room, but it, it fits us. Uh, and we are just having simple church services that allow us to worship the Lord and share that with others. Okay. Um, and, and what sort of opportunities do you have? Do you, do you have um, plans? Do you have hopes? Do you see uh, things growing in the future? Um, yeah, I do. Um well, uh, today it's Monday, so yesterday um, we had our church service, and we have a lot of kids in our church, uh, uh, which uh, someone might joke that's how Calvinists do growth, uh, church growth, right, <laughs> by having more children. But but we had this one four-year-old girl who just walked uh, up to me and uh, and gave me some. Uh, uh, leaves that she collected from the sidewalk uh, and i said that uh, you know that's her that's her uh, thanksgiving offering and i and i put it on the lord's table right next mm -hmm. to uh the uh, the wine and the bread and and um and i as i you know even though we're a small group of people we uh well we we have children and that gives me hope uh that we're raising the next generation of believers here in Poland, and the Lord had brought to our church uh, people who do have influence on on what's happening in Poland. So actually, as the church finished and we're drinking our coffee, uh, one of the uh, men from our congregation received a phone call from the uh, uh, Polish television that they would like to interview him. Uh, for tonight's newscast uh, about some political matters. He's a mm. political, um, he's a former um, diplomat and a political science professor. Uh, and I said, sure, let me take your four-year-old girl. I will take her home, feed her and play with, my kids will play with her. And you let these, you know, journalists come in and uh, shoot the, the interview right here. Uh, and, uh, and they did it. And it was on the national newscast uh, that very day. That's great. Uh, so that's just one example. There are others uh, that that just the Lord continues to use even our very small uh, congregation. In. Yes, well, we know Jesus said that uh, the kingdom of God is like mustard seed. It, it starts small and it grows. Uh, it's like yeast in the bread, isn't it? It, it bubbles away and uh, eventually it produces fruit. So, yeah, that's wonderful. Darius, one of the things that we usually do in these podcasts is to ask... Uh, our, our friends and, and conversation partners, what sort of insights that you can share from your part of the world with the rest of the global church? And Poland being the kind of unique situation that you've described, 
I'm sure that you have some thoughts about that as to in what way we, and by we I mean in general Christians who live either further west in Western Europe or in Britain or America, uh, or we know we have listeners in other places like Australia, New Zealand and elsewhere, what what can we in the global church learn from, from your experience uh, in Christian history and indeed today? Well, I, I think going back to what I said earlier, um, the the kind of solidarity that I see um, and I saw when I was a teenager when Poland was uh, uniting to to peacefully overthrow communism and now uh, now now Poland uh, uniting to assist uh, Ukrainians um, is is something that I, I think the West, like I said before, needs to uh, watch and learn. I think that the hyper individualism, the selfishness, the so-called pursuit of happiness, the idea that I am at the center of the universe uh, is something that, of course, we have here. I mean, people use social media and so on, but it's still a counterbalanced um, by by something else uh, that is uh, partially we are an Eastern folk we are Slavs and and we by nature are a little more uh, 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 for a lack of a better word have a, 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 a kind of group mentality we're not like the Anglos we're not like the but 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 of course none of us have received 100% of common grace <laughs> and as as uh, Slavs have been learning from the Westerners and they continue to learn, we, we are always very pro-Western uh, in our approach. Uh, I think there is a time for the Westerners to look at healthy Slavs, and I mean Ukrainians, mm -hmm. I mean Poles, Czechs, uh, from the Baltic to the Adriatic Sea, and listen, <laughs> yeah. uh, because uh, our experience of communism, our experience of wars in the Balkans is something that the West needs to uh, appreciate more and know that 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 um, our voice, which is very often united, especially in a crisis like this, mm -hmm. is, is something that could really help uh, Western Europeans and Americans to, to, to be uh, renewed. Mm -hmm. I wonder whether the Slavic Bible commentary, which I think at the moment only exists in Russian language, but um, whether that, if it were translated into English, would be uh, a vehicle that could carry that kind of message, yeah, because then English-speaking Christians could read something of a Slavic perspective on the Bible and also on some of the issues that it addresses. I'm not sure if you'd agree with that. Yeah, I, I haven't uh, read the commentary, but I, I think it, it is a great idea. And, and, and it is time where we are observing a, a strange work of the Lord among the Slavic people, where, where the lines of being clearly redefined, uh, especially as, as Russians and Ukrainians are clearly splitting up. And, and and if you look at the map and you see Poles and Ukrainians who now experience this amazing sense of brotherhood we're going to be the largest country you know th these two countries poland and ukraine together is going to be larger than any other country in in in, in europe and and population wise as well uh, of course economy is something that's going to take years to rebuild 
mm. but um, but the, the the energy that you see here, mm. the uh, the potential is is incredible, and and may the Lord give uh, leaders of both Poland and Ukraine wisdom and Christian love that will uh, conquer uh, the evil that comes from farther east and from yeah. farther west. Indeed, and it's uh, it it's the kind of geopolitical reality which always reminds me of some of the great moments in Old Testament history, you know, where desperately evil things happen and empires rise and do desperate things, but God has the power to bring good out of evil. Um, you know, the what Joseph says to his brothers, you know, you, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good and for the saving of life, so that even through these terrible times, the awful times that are happening in Ukraine, that God's kingdom goes on and, and God's sovereignty remains and God's grace is at work in mysterious ways. What yeah. What's next for you personally, um, Darius? I mean, what, what, what are your immediate plans and, and what can we be praying for you and Brooke and your children? Um, uh, just embracing obscurity <laughs> you know an event like this uh, where i am being interviewed on a on a podcast that will be heard by many is a very rare occasion we are here on the very edge of uh, the western uh, <laughs> culture and and society and we're quite isolated and and we joke that we are like this little uh, uh, uh a little post uh, far, you know, like just like Americans have posts in the Wild West. We are like this post <laughs> in the Wild East uh, doing what we believe is our duty um, and we find joy in it. But yeah, sometimes after experiencing the high life of a Langham scholar, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, especially in the winter months, maybe a little bit of a depressing, but yeah. But we we pray that the Lord will continue to provide the funds necessary for us to to be here because I think our presence here, for reasons we don't understand, is uh, important and strategic. So I I don't know uh, what is next. Uh, I just want to be faithful for what is here and now. <laughs> Well, let me pray for that, because that is so important. Uh, embracing obscurity, that, that's a wonderful phrase, because I think, um, again, it reminds me of people in the Bible who were very important, unimportant people, <laughs> people whose names you don't even know, like the widow of Zarephath, who you know enabled Elijah to survive, and what would we have done without him? Or Baruch, you know, who helped Jeremiah, again, probably produced the scroll. Or those midwives in the book of Exodus, you know, to whom, in a sense, we probably owe Aaron and Moses. So there's this, this sense that um, in God's kingdom there are no little people. Uh, everyone has a place and a purpose. And uh, that's what we pray for you and for Tolly Legge and for all that you're doing there. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this conversation and thank you for the journey that you've led Darius on. And pray for him and Brooke now as they continue on it without knowing clearly what lies ahead and yet clearly having a sense of your presence and your hand being with them uh, and enabling them to be there and to do what they're doing. And I pray that you would make it bear fruit for your kingdom and that many men and women may be introduced to the riches of our Christian faith and those great traditions and those great men and women of the past who have been the teachers of your church and from whom we have so much to learn. 
So I pray that you'll be be with uh, Darius and his wife and family and all his colleagues and with that church there in Warsaw and enable them to not only to be blessed and to be a blessing to those around them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's such a joy to learn about Christian leaders like Darius who are serving the global church and encouraging its growth in depth and maturity. I hope you were encouraged and challenged by his passion to thoughtfully take and read scripture so that it transforms our lives for Christ. Again, I'm Angel Torero, and thank you for joining me for On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to discover how they multiply and equip leaders around the world. If you enjoyed today's conversation, will you let us know by giving us a review and sharing this with a friend? And then join me for future episodes where we'll be talking to leaders in Zambia, Palestine, Kenya, Brazil, and beyond. We look forward to having you join for our next episode of On Mission with Chris Wright. In the meantime, God bless. Thank you.